This talk was recorded by Campus Outreach Minneapolis, the college ministry of Bethlehem Baptist Church, as a part of the 2020 Virtual Leadership Project. For more information on VLP and Campus Outreach Minneapolis, visit cominneapolis.org. Hey everyone, um, if you don't know me, my name is Emma Button. I'm on staff at the University of Northwestern. And um, uh, tonight we're gonna be talking about how Jesus fulfills the law. And this summer we've been looking at how Jesus fulfills the entire scriptures. And last week we looked at how Jesus fulfills the sacrificial lamb. Tonight we're gonna be looking at how he fulfills the law. So if you open your notebooks, I don't know what page it's on, but it'll be whatever blank page is next after last week. And I just wanted to introduce myself a little bit because I don't know all of you. Uh, so like I said, I'm on staff at the University of Northwestern. I am engaged to Alexis Garcia. There's a picture of us. This is just from a couple of days ago. We showed up accidentally twinning. Um, I wanted to make another poll of who wore it best, but We'll save that maybe for next time. Uh, and I'm pretty excited to talk about the law because for those of you who are big Enneagram enthusiasts, I'm a type one. And if you know anything about the Enneagram, type ones are all about trying to figure out what the right thing to do is and then do it. So I love rules, most of them. I'm kind of weirdly selective about the rules I obey. I don't really care about speed limits <laughs> and other random rules, but I remember when I was little, my dad would take us hiking on this mountain near where my grandparents lived in Arizona. And there were all of these signs along the trails saying, do not leave the trails. And they were usually accompanied by pictures of scary looking snakes and scorpions and stuff like that. And every year without fail, my dad would take us to this mountain and then force us all to go hiking off the trails. And he claimed that he was trying to make us all more adventurous, uh, but I hated it. And I think it gave me a complex to this day because I hated the fact that we were breaking these rules. And I think there's something in all of us, some of us probably more than others, that we want to know what the right thing is to do and we want to do it. Or we wanna know what the right thing is to do so that we don't do it. And uh, if you've grown up in the church, then you have heard a lot about the law. And uh, it gets thrown around a lot. And so I was curious what comes to mind when you think about the law. Is it the Ten Commandments? Is it this vague and impending sense of guilt? Is it, uh, does it make a red flag that, oh no, we're about to talk about legalism? Do you think about the speed limit? And uh, I want to start off this talk. I have three main points. And the first point is the law. So I just want to talk about what is the law, because in order to understand how Jesus fulfills it, we need to first know what it is. So uh, the first thing that the law is, is something called the Mosaic Covenant. So bear with me. We're going to do a little bit of history of the Old Testament. So um, my guess is that if you've grown up in the church and you hear the word law, you first think of the Ten Commandments, and you would be right. But the Ten Commandments are actually just part of this broader thing called the Mosaic Covenant. So there are four parts in the Mosaic Covenant, and we see it be established in the book of Exodus. And so what starts off the whole covenant is that God rescues his people from the nation of Egypt. And he, they have been enslaved there for hundreds of years, and through a series of really miraculous and supernatural events, God rescues his people out of slavery and, and brings them into the land that he has promised to give them. So the Exodus is the first step in the Mosaic Covenant. 
And then the second step is that God actually creates an explicit covenant with them. And the point of it is because he wants to now dwell with his people. He's brought them out of the land of their enemies. He's bringing them into the promised land. And his goal is that his presence would dwell with his people. And so we're going to pull up Exodus 19, 4 through 8. And this is really, this is a really important passage. So I would write this down if you're taking notes. But this is what God says to Moses. You yourselves have seen what I did to the Egyptians and how I bore you on eagles' wings and brought you to myself. Now, therefore, if you will indeed obey my voice and keep my covenant, you shall be my treasured possession among all peoples. For all the earth is mine, and you shall be to me a kingdom of priests and a holy nation. These are the words that you shall speak to the people of Israel. So Moses came and called the elders of the people and set before them all these words that the Lord had commanded him. All the people answered together and said, all that the Lord has spoken, we will do. So God basically says that if you will obey him, he will bless them with his presence and he will set them apart. And the people respond by saying, we will do these things. Then the third part is now the law. So this is where God gives his people extensive rules for how they should live in order to be his people. And this is Exodus 20 through 23, but most specifically we see it in the Ten Commandments. And so you're probably familiar with them, but I actually couldn't remember all ten of them, so I thought it would be helpful to have a slide. So basically the, the Ten Commandments are, you shall have no other gods before me, you shall not make idols, you shall not take the, Lord, the name of the Lord in vain, you should honor the Sabbath, honor your father and mother, you shall not murder, you shall not commit adultery, you shall not steal, you shall not bear false witness against your neighbor, and you shall not covet. So those are the Ten Commandments. And then the fourth part of the Mosaic Covenant are the rituals that God gives them. And so these are different purification processes, their sacrifices, which is what Jess talked about last week. So to summarize, the, the first thing that the law is, is this Mosaic Covenant. And in the Mosaic Covenant, God delivers his people from their enemies, and then he promises to dwell with them if they will live a certain way, and then he gives them laws and rituals for how they are to live. Which, that brings us to our second definition of what the law is, and this is God himself. So I want to go a little bit deeper into talking about why God gave the law. And the reason that God gives the law is because he desires to dwell with his people. You see that over and over again. It was there at the beginning of creation. You see it all over the Old Testament. God's heart is to dwell close to his people. And because God is holy, anything that he draws near to must also be holy. In Leviticus 11.44, he states it super clearly. He says, for I am the Lord your God. Consecrate yourselves, therefore, and be holy, for I am holy. And I was trying to think about an example of this kind of in our daily life. And one of the things I thought of is last summer, I went on a trip with one of my friends. We went to Scotland and you should be seeing the picture. We found this super cool castle. It's pink. It's in the middle of the highlands of Scotland. It was absolutely beautiful. And up until recently, it was lived in by like actual Scottish royalty people. And uh, we dressed up for this. We, uh, We put on cute clothes. We made sure that we were dressed more formally because we knew that we were entering into a space that was pretty fancy. Uh, You could contrast that to yesterday. I went to Walmart to buy painting supplies and I was wearing running shorts covered in paint, a nasty old Myrtle Beach t-shirt that I should just really get rid of because I really don't care. I don't care what people at Walmart think about me. I think that uh, Walmart probably doesn't, (laughs) isn't asking me to dress anyway. And uh, I think what that illustrates is that uh, the honor of something 
demands a certain response. And so the greater honor something has, the more honor you should show it. And there's different ways that we can show it. So for the castle, I showed my honor to the castle by dressing a certain way. I don't think Walmart has too much honor that I'm aware of, so didn't, didn't feel the need to show it. So to connect that to God, God's character demands that his people live in a certain way. So because it's God's presence that is at stake, God gives them stunning promises if they will obey his law. So this is from Exodus 19, 5 and 6. We already looked at this passage, but I want to just look at it again. He says, Now, therefore, if you will indeed obey my voice and keep my covenant, you shall be my treasured possession among all peoples. For all the earth is mine, and you shall be to me a kingdom of priests and a holy nation. And he also gives pretty scary curses if they don't obey. And this is from Deuteronomy 28. He's just listed out all of these curses where he'll curse their livestock and he'll curse their land and he'll curse their health if they don't obey. And he sums it all up and says, but if you will not obey the voice of the Lord your God or be careful to do all his commandments and his statutes that I command you today, then all these curses shall come upon you and overtake you. So we're dealing with something that is very, very important. You could say it's a matter of life and death. And the reason why the stakes are so high is because God's honor is at stake. And it might be easy to think about the Old, the old Testament as being kind of the scary part of the law, but then the New Testament is when Jesus comes and kind of like makes it all better. But uh, when Jesus comes, he, he actually says that um, unless your righteousness exceeds that of the scribes and Pharisees, you, you won't be able to enter the kingdom of heaven. And so you see all throughout scripture that the integrity and the standard of the law is upheld. And, and you can really boil the law down to two main commandments. Someone actually asks Jesus about this in the New Testament, and he tells them that the whole law can be summed up in two commandments. The first is that you would love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. And the second is that you would love your neighbor as yourself. So based off of that, I've come up with uh, a definition of the law. And that is this, that the law is the requirement to be holy through loving God above everything else with all that we are and loving others as we love ourselves. So if you're taking notes, I'll leave it up there for just a second so you can write it down. But again, the law is the requirement that we'd be holy because God is holy. And, and the way that we achieve holiness is when we love God above everything else and when we love others as we love ourselves. So it, it sounds simple enough the, the whole Old Testament, the whole law can basically be boiled down into these two requirements. But what happens? Does humanity keep the law? Do the, do the Israelites keep the law? And this brings us to our second point of the talk, which, so we first looked at what the law is, but now we're going to look at who are the law breakers. So you can open up to virtually any page of the Old Testament, and you'll pretty quickly discover that God's people did not obey his law. And it's honestly there even before the Ten Commandments were given. So one of the very first commandments given to humanity was in the Garden of Eden. And that's where God tells Adam and Eve, do not eat of this tree of the knowledge of good and evil. And if you eat of it, you will die. Well, what happens just a chapter later? Adam and Eve eat of the tree that they were commanded not to. And by Adam and Eve breaking the law that God gave, they have now cursed all of humanity. So now all of humanity is forever cursed to disobey the law of God. And because of the fall, we now no longer have the holiness that God requires. And we also have the inability to create it or to get it back. 
and throughout the rest of the biblical narrative, we see that even the best characters that come out of Israel still fail to fulfill the law. So King David is the only character in scripture described as a man after God's own heart. And you would think that maybe he would be the closest to fulfilling the whole law. But even he breaks at least three of the commandments in a very dramatic way, where he covets uh, Bathsheba, he commits adultery by um, seducing her, and, and then he murders her husband. So <laughs> there's at least three commandments that a man after God's own heart breaks. And uh, like I said before, Jesus extends the standard of holiness when he comes. He doesn't let up on this. He, he actually presses it further. Um, and one of the things that scripture says is that under the law, we have to fulfill the law perfectly. So if we fail at any point, we fail it completely. So if you've ever taken the ACT or the SAT, or if you've taken a driver's ed test, you know that they give you a margin of error. You can miss like this many questions and, and you'll be fine. Uh, if you've ever had to calculate like what grade do I have to get on my final, what's the lowest grade I could get on my final exam to pass this class? Well, the thing with the law is that if you break any point, you have failed the entire law. So I want us to just take a second uh, to, to look at how we measure up to the law. And one really interesting thing that Jesus does is when he first starts giving sermons, when he first starts preaching to the people, he takes the law and instead of saying, you know, you've obeyed it externally, good job, that's, that's what we wanted. He actually says, these are the external commands, but they were actually about the heart. And so I'm just going to read to you a few snippets of what Jesus says. So this is from Matthew 5, and he says, You have heard that it was said to those of old, you shall not murder, and whoever murders will be liable to judgment. And I'm sure that his listeners were thinking, like, I've never murdered anyone, so that's nice. I've kept at least that commandment. And then Jesus drops this bomb. He says, But I say to you that everyone who is angry with his brother will be liable to judgment. Whoever insults his brother will be liable to the council, and whoever says, you fool, will be liable to the hell of fire. Or he takes another commandment, adultery. You have heard that it was said, you shall not commit adultery. But I say to you that everyone who looks at a woman with lustful intent has already committed adultery with her in his heart. And then one more, he says, you have heard that it was said, you shall love your neighbor and hate your enemy. But I say to you, Love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you so that you may be sons of your father who is in heaven. And then just to really drive his point home, he finishes up that sermon by saying, you therefore must be perfect as your heavenly father is perfect. So have you ever broken the law? If you're like me, the answer is yes. And I may not have ever murdered anyone. I haven't committed adultery, but have I been angry with someone in my heart? The answer is yes. And the Bible says that if I've experienced anger in my heart, I have committed the sin of murder, which means I've broken the entire law. And this puts all of humanity in a pretty bleak situation because no human being can fulfill the law. On your own, your relationship to the law is one that's failing. And Galatians 3, 10 through 11, I think puts this so clearly. Paul writes, for all who rely on works of the law are under a curse. For it is written, cursed is everyone who does not abide by all these things written in the book of the law and do them. Now it is evident that no one is justified before God by the law. 
So this brings us to our final point, which is the law fulfiller. So if, if no human being has ever been justified by the law, if no human being ever can be justified by the law, that leaves us in a weird situation because again, the law was given so that God could dwell with us. So what does God do? Because God's holy, he must uphold the law. And he does it in three ways. So the first one is that he punishes those who do not repent. And, and again, you see examples of this all throughout the Old Testament. Every time his people persist in disobedience, every time they fail to repent, God does send punishment. And the goal of that punishment is always so that they would repent and turn back to him. But if they don't repent, he does bring punishment. The second way that he upholds the law is that he provides a sacrificial system to cover their transgressions. And we looked at that theme last week. We unpacked it. Just did an incredible job of showing us how that points to Jesus. And then the last way that God upholds the law is that he actually promises a coming savior who will one day deliver the people from all their sins. So he punishes, he provides, and he promises. And this is where it gets good. So this is um, part one of this point is Jesus is the ultimate law fulfiller. So one of the very first things that Jesus says in his earthly ministry, and I'm pretty sure we studied this passage one of our first days, was he said, do not think that I have come to abolish the law or the prophets. I have not come to abolish them, but to fulfill them. So Jesus makes his mission on earth pretty clear. He came to fulfill the law, and he did this by obeying it completely, which means that he loved God with all his heart, with all his mind, with all his soul. And it means that he lived at all times, every second of the day, to the degree of holiness that God requires. And uh, in just a couple seconds, I'm gonna, we're going to show a video, and it's just a little snippet of a sermon jam um, that John Piper did. And it's kind of a meditation on who Christ is. And, and he has this little section where he meditates on, uh, on Jesus's perfection. And so the graphics are a little bit outdated, bear with it, uh, but I think the message is, is really powerful. So we're going to play that. Okay, I love that video because uh, I just love his meditation on the fact that Jesus never sinned. And for some reason, it's always just really hit me that Jesus never even had a bad attitude. <laughs> so not only did Jesus not have any external disobedience, but even in his heart, he never sinned. So Jesus fulfills the law perfectly, but then what happens? What happens is something that if you were to write a story, I don't think anyone could have ever predicted. What happens is that he puts himself under the curse. So this is going back to Deuteronomy. There's this kind of random curse in Deuteronomy. And this is what God says. If a man has committed a crime uh, punishable and he is put to death and you hang him on a tree, his body shall not remain all night on the tree, but you shall bury him on the same day for a hanged man is cursed by God. And if any of you guys are familiar with the story of the crucifixion, Jesus commits commits a crime that is punishable by death. He claims to be God. So the high priests put him to death and they crucify him on a cross, which was made out of wood. And the New Testament writers pick this up and say that Jesus's death actually fulfills this curse. He puts himself in the position of a cursed man. And what happens on the cross is a crazy reversal where Jesus deserved all the blessings of obedience but instead he bore all the curses of disobedience. And he was treated 
by both God and man as if he had broken the entire law. Why did he do that? Why would he do that? So if you look at the rest of Galatians 3, he makes it really clear. He finishes his train of thought by saying, Christ redeemed us from the curse of the law by becoming a curse for us. For it is written, cursed is everyone who is hanged on a tree, so that in Christ Jesus, the blessing of Abraham might come to the Gentiles so that we might receive the promised spirit through faith. So what Christ did when he went on the cross, what he did when he stepped into the curse was that he was actually redeeming us from the curse of the law. So he gets all of the punishment for disobedience. He bears all the curses and then we get all of the blessings of his obedience. So I have one more video that I want to show. This is a Shane and Shane song. It's called Embracing Accusations. And I'm only going to play a short part of it. And if you've never heard it, I would really encourage you to listen to it. It's very powerful. But basically the, the song is about what do you do when Satan comes and accuses you when he says, you failed. You have not lived up to the standard. You've messed up. You're too bad. You're too far gone. What do, what do you do? And the specific version of the song uh, has a little snippet of a John Piper sermon. I think it might be kind of vintage John Piper because it's pretty old, or that just could be how he looks all the time. Um, but, uh, but yeah, I'm going to show that clip really quick. I love that clip because I think Basically everything John Piper says is he says with such gusto, but I love how he ends it that God looks at John Piper. He looks at Emma Button. He looks at each one of you in the face. And although we deserve to be condemned and cursed because we did not fulfill his law, he looks each one of us in the face and says righteous because we're wearing Christ's righteousness. And instead of receiving all of the curses for disobedience, we actually receive all of the blessings of obedience. In Christ, you are treated as though you perfectly obeyed the law and upheld your side of the covenant. Christ bore all of the curses for breaking the covenant and he gave you all of the blessings. So one of the reasons why I thought it was so important that we looked at Deuteronomy is because the New Testament actually picks that language back up and no place is it clearer than in Revelation 5, 9 through 10, and what I love about this passage is that it actually combines what we saw last week with Jesus as the sacrificial lamb and what we see this week with the blessings of obedience. So this is a vision of the throne room, and this is what it said. These are people around the throne of God. They're praising him. And it says, they sang a new song saying, worthy are you to take the seal, the scroll and open its seals for you were slain. And by your blood, you ransomed people for God from every tribe and language and people and nation. And you have made them a kingdom and priests to our God, and they shall reign on the earth. So if you'll remember from Deuteronomy, the way that we became a kingdom, the way that we became priests to our God was through our obedience. But what is fully revealed in Christ is that the way we are made into a kingdom, the way that we're made priests to our God is actually through the obedience of Christ and through the fact that he was slain. He was the one who bore the curses. And that's what brings us into God's presence. So not only was Jesus slain as the lamb, but he was raised and he ransoms us from the legal demands of the law. And the crazy thing is that 
the purpose of this whole thing was so that God would be able to dwell with us. And because we're in Christ, we get to spend eternity with him, joining the song around the throne, praising him for what he has done. But it doesn't end there. So that's part one. So Jesus is the ultimate law fulfiller. But part two really surprised me, and I wasn't really expecting this when I first started preparing for this talk, but part two is that we actually become law fulfillers. So something kind of magical happens when you're saved by Christ. So let's look at Romans 8, verses 3 through 4. This is what Paul says. For God has done what the law, weakened by the flesh, could not do. By sending his own son in the likeness of sinful flesh and for sin, he condemned sin in the flesh in order that the righteous requirement of the law might be fulfilled in us who walk not according to the flesh, but according to the spirit. So according to this verse, Paul is saying that the reason why God sent his son, the reason why he condemned sin in the flesh was so that the righteous requirement of the law would still be fulfilled in us. We don't get to walk away from the law. Now we're actually empowered to fulfill it. So what is this righteous requirement of the law? It is a life of real love for God and others. And Romans 13 makes this really clear. It says, Oh, no one anything except to love each other. For the one who loves one another has fulfilled the law. Love does no wrong to a neighbor. Therefore, love is the fulfilling of the law. And then John 15, 12, this is Jesus speaking. He says, this is my commandment, that you love one another as I have loved you. So what's crazy is that, like what we talked about in part one, being in Christ means we're no longer under the law in the sense that the law doesn't get to condemn us anymore. But what's so cool is that the spirit of Christ enters into us when we become believers and actually enables us to love God and to love others rightly. And in the New Testament, they refer to this as the law of liberty or the law of Christ. And this time, the motivation for our obedience is not to be made right with God because that's already happened. The motivation for our obedience is that we love God. And if we love him, then we love to obey his commandments because they're a reflection of his heart and they're the way that we know him better. So I was trying to think of a way to kind of make this more personal or make it more practical. And uh, if you know me, you know that I really, really love a good cup of coffee. It's one of the reasons why I get up in the morning. And um, there are rules to brewing good coffee. One of the rules is that you don't buy Folgers. <laughs> um, you buy good coffee and you grind it right before you brew it and you boil the water and you're supposed to use certain water and there's a certain method to pouring it. And I love learning the rules to how to make coffee because the better I do with them, the better cup of coffee I get. And it doesn't feel burdensome. It's not a drag because I love drinking coffee. And so it's really fun for me actually to learn all the little technicalities and all the rules because the better I get at it, the better that coffee is going to taste. Now I realize that, um, not a lot of you drink coffee, or maybe you're still in the denial stage where you think Folgers is coffee. Um, so I also wanted to maybe think of an example that would apply to more people, and I thought of football. <laughs> so like I said, I'm engaged to Alexis Garcia. <laughs> I found his headshot on Facebook. Sorry about that. Did not ask his permission. Um, but in football, I don't actually know that much about the sport. But from what I do know of it, my understanding is that there are rules. I'm, I'm assuming just like in any sport, there's rules to the game. And if you abide by those rules, the game will go better 
for everyone playing. But if you break the rules, that ruins the game, not just for yourself, but for your whole team, for the other players. And so it's really important that every player is abiding by the rules because in doing so, everyone is gonna have a better and more fair game. So these things are built in all around us. It's intuitive that if you love something, you want to understand how to do it rightly because that's gonna maximize your enjoyment of it. And I think that that is the heart behind our fulfillment of the law now. We love God and we want to know him. We want to understand him better. And so we're motivated to obey his laws because we love him. And the key to remembering all of this, and this is where I'm going to end, is that we have to remember the proper order. So if you go back all the way to the beginning of this talk, if you go back to the Mosaic Covenant, what happened before God gave the law, before he gave them the covenant, the first thing he did was that he rescued them from Egypt, from their captors. So before God gave the Ten Commandments, he had already rescued them from their oppressors. And what has happened when Paul tells us to fulfill the law through love? Jesus has already been crucified and raised. And that order is absolutely key. If you mess up the order, you're going to only be frustrated. You're only going to find that you'll never be enough. If you try to obey to be made right with God, you will never, never accomplish it. But if you know that you have been made right with God, that is what then enables you to live a life of love because you know that you're safe and rescued in him. Jesus's perfect righteousness is the foundation of your perfect righteousness. So lean into that. Lean into your failures because by doing so, you will more deeply love Christ's perfection. That's why I love the song, Embracing the Accusations, because he says, every accusation that the devil is saying to me is actually just a reminder to me of what Christ has done. He says, it's the song of the redeemed. I have failed. I have not done enough. And that should drive you all the more to look at Jesus because Jesus was enough. He was enough when you weren't. And he accepted you when you weren't. And he saved you when you weren't. And he made you righteous when you weren't. And it means that you can also lean into the Holy Spirit because the Spirit of Christ now lives in you and his desire is to produce this righteousness in you. So lean into the Holy Spirit because by doing so, you really will fulfill the law as you love God and your neighbor. So I'm going to pray for us and then I have some discussion questions. If you're Zooming virtually, you can kind of journal through these questions. Maybe they'd be good to talk through with your D group. If you're at the watch party, maybe huddle up with a couple people around you and talk through them. So um, yeah, I'm going to pray. Heavenly Father, thank you that you, um, you know what you're doing. You're not, you're not a God who, who changes characters. You're not a God who one day demands um, all of these things of us and then the next day doesn't care. Thank you that you're a God who masterfully upheld your standard of holiness and also your mercy and your compassion on us. Thank you for the cross of Christ where we see the only person who never broke the law was humiliated, was cast off, and was tortured and killed as if he did disobey the law. Thank you that we are now clothed in his righteousness. And God, I pray that we would not stop there, but that we really would um, 
lean into your spirit within us that when Satan's accusations come, they would only push us to run to the cross. And I pray that you would be creating us to be people who really do have real love for you and love for our neighbors, that our lives really would look different, that there would be something distinct about us and the way that we live. And then it would all be done um, out of a, a true love for you. So we love you and we ask all these things in your name. Amen. Thank you for listening to this message from the 2020 Virtual Leadership Project, hosted by Campus Outreach Minneapolis, the college ministry of Bethlehem Baptist Church in Minneapolis, Minnesota. Please feel free to share this message with others, but please do not charge for, edit, or alter the message in any way without the written permission of Campus Outreach Minneapolis. For more information, we invite you to visit us online at cominneapolis.org.